morning. Uh, we have been in a series, if you've noticed, uh, over the past good while. In fact, this is like the sixth message in this. We've been talking about the harvest. This harvest that Jesus uses this as an analogy of a, a harvest of souls, actually. And you remember, uh, what we, our, our thought has been help wanted, right? The harvest is great, and where we started out. But we're going we're gonna to kind of, we're going to kind of um, uh, uh, somewhat wrap things up because we got to talk about an aspect of this harvest that we've yet to talk about. And so, what I want to talk about is the fact that we, we've, we've talked different in the field of harvest, the message of the harvest, all these different things. Uh, but today, we want to talk about the final harvest, the final harvest. So what I want you to do is we're going to start out in Revelation 14. So find Revelation 14. Now listen to me. Also, uh, you'll want to find Matthew 13 because we're going to be looking there as well. So I want you to, it's important to have the word, you know, power up your, your version app, whatever you have there. Uh, now I'm going to put quite a few verses up here. It's going to be a little busy. Uh, and, uh, Pastor Gary is out of town today. And so, um, uh, Jeff and White are working like crazy back there. But if you might do one thing, can you give me just a tiny bit less light up here on these spotlights? Uh, it, yeah, oh, perfect, right there, right there. So anyway, because I want to just really be able to see everybody because I, I like to interact, you know. How, anyway, so if we're having a conversation, you know, and you're not like nodding or saying something, I just kind of get closer and closer and louder and louder, right? You know, I get it said a lot quicker this way. Uh, so um, I'm going to put a lot of verses up there. These guys are going to try to keep up. Uh, and, and if you're watching online, which hopefully as many people are not here, I hope, some are, but anyway, uh, we're going to try to have them there for you too if everything works right. But uh, you'll want to make note of these so you can meditate. So you can, this isn't just come and hear this and wow, that was good, check the box. And we, we did that, right? We endured that. This is, this is about studying, about growing, about knowing the message that God has for us. And it's so important to meditate on it and to, to, uh, to let the Lord continue to speak and to apply it to our lives after we leave here. All right, so I'm going to read this text. And because one of the analogies the Bible uses on the harvest has to do with a final harvest. Like right now, as seeds are planted, the seed, you know, and so many of these uh, analogies and parables represents the gospel, and, and it grows, uh, and then there's, a, you know, as, as the Lord works in our life, it's watered, it's cultivated, and then at some point, you know, there's a harvest is that we come to the Lord. Well, it's also used in another way, and here's one of the places when it talks about a final harvest. There's coming a time that God himself is going to harvest the earth. Okay, this is a little heavy, but we need, to, we need to cover it, okay? Are you ready? Let me just read this over in Revelation 14, and this is a scene that is yet to come, and um, this is all like mysterious, I know that, but, but watch this. It says in verse 14 of Revelation 14, it says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud one like a son of man, with a gold crown on his head. Who do you think that is? It's Jesus, yes, resurrected Lord. It says, and a sharp sickle in his hand. Now, most everybody here knows what a sickle is because there's some of you. Actually, Daryl, remember when you used a, you actually used, that's, that was like the, the equipment you had to harvest is a sickle and you just, you know. Uh, now we, we've got machinery, tractors, all that stuff. But anyway, so this is an instrument of the harvest. So it has, it has a sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. Put in your sickle and reap, 
For the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Okay, this is something to come. So I want us to think about that and the final harvest. So we started out, when we talk about the harvest is great, so I just want to throw this out there, that if you'll go back, and many of you were here through all this, you know, weeks ago we started out uh, in Matthew chapter 9, where Jesus was looking out the crowds, and he saw they were like a sheep having no shepherd. And then he says this to the disciples in Matthew 9, 37 and 38. He says to his disciples, The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Remember that? That's kind of where we started and we began to, 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 to think about, you know, how that their help wanted, right? That's what Jesus said. The harvest is great. Pray. And that's where we start out praying. But did you notice as we read on into the next chapter, the ones who prayed are the ones who, who ended up going and, and, uh, and ministering. So anyway, uh, it's still plentiful after all these years, it's still plentiful, and the laborers are still few. This is still true to in our day. Uh, so that's why help wanted. Harvest is great. So this is all about lost souls being saved. You get it, right? That's the analogy that Jesus is making there. That's why he came. In fact, Jesus gave his own mission statement. You remember in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, he says this. He calls himself the son of man because though he was the son of God and fully God, he was also fully human. And he referred to himself as son of man, which also references something that was prophesied way back in the book of Daniel. Uh, But he said, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his mission, (laughs) to seek And I'm glad he sought me because we understand that we were so lost that we didn't even seek him. If it wasn't for him seeking us first, we have the witness of creation. We have the witness of conscience, but I needed the Holy Spirit to draw me. He was seeking me. He's seeking you. He he never stops. As a church, as the body of Christ, those who are believers, those who are disciples, those who are following him, this is also our mission statement. Amen? Okay, yeah, you're still involved here. Good, good. And the very last thing that Jesus said before he ascended back to the Father's right hand, the very last thing he said, this is our mission. He is co-missioning us. So co-mission is his mission. Now he brings us in on the mission, and this is the great commission. He says in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, go therefore. That's what he said to his disciples. You go therefore and make disciples. Of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So that's what we're to be about. Exactly what Jesus said. He said it in another way. And it's recorded in Acts 1.8. Where he told his disciples that they will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And he says, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. And that's that's, uh, where it started. And in Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. This is the thing. And we've pointed out that Jesus said every week that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations as a witness and then the end will come. So this is what we're to be about. This is to be our focus like nothing else. 
is spreading the gospel and being a witness for him and of his grace and of his truth and of his love. So anything and everything that we're doing, whatever program, whatever activity, whatever we're involved in, I'm going to tell you guys that it has to be tied to this. If it's not tied to this, then we're really not a New Testament church, local church. Whatever we do has some way has to be tied to it. We're looking for ways we can sow the seed, the word of the gospel, and cultivate it and water it and, be, and, and finally witness a harvest as people, other people, lives are transformed, eternities are transformed, and they come to Christ. And it's not just merely that we meet in this building every so often or a few times a week. It's that we are his children. And every single one of us have a place to occupy in the field of harvest. And he equips us to serve in that field. And if we ever stop trying to reach people, it's about people. And there's people out there that, that the things they may do may offend you. And it may, it may be upsetting some of the things they may do, the may, things they may say. And, and the thing about it is, uh, is, is that that's the mission field. That's the people we're to love. Remember, the, the things that Jesus told us, the big thing we're to do is love God with all of our heart. So you sum up all of the law, all that. Love God with everything within you. Love your neighbor as yourself. If we just focus on that, Huh? How many of us are loving anybody like we love ourselves? He said, among you, among you that are following me, love each other, Jesus said, like I've loved you. But he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, by the way, and then in some stories he told, who's your neighbor? Anybody you come in contact with. Even somebody that you might have thought was your enemy. You're even to love your enemies. They give you hate, you return love. They give you evil, you return good. Man, that is power right there. This is how, this is part of the way that this happens. It's like Paul said that, um, that he said in 1 Corinthians 9, 22, I become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Listen, if we ever stop trying to reach people any and every way that we can, then we cease to be a real church. We just kind of have our lazy Sunday meetings. We just become a, a Sunday Christian club. That's all it is. So if you're saved today, and you know the Lord and you're not at all interested in reaching lost people, then I'm praying that the Lord of the harvest will move on you today. If you're listening here now or online or later on or however that works, God knows what he's doing. I mean, are we only interested in getting ourselves to heaven? Are we only interested on, in, in, you know, my two and nobody do, my four and nobody more, you know, type thing? I mean, because God's heart is the world. Our desire should be like he told us to pray. His kingdom come. His will be done. And I'm telling you, the kingdom came. The kingdom came as the as, as day of Pentecost and, and Jesus' resurrection and all of that. The kingdom has started mysteriously here in our hearts where he rules as king. And then within this lost world, there is the kingdom of God operating. And we are calling people out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. To be part of his called out people. The ecclesia, the church. Okay, but there is coming a time that that thing Jesus told us to pray is going to come in finality in fulfillment, that it is going to be literal and it is going to be physical. His kingdom on earth, he will rule and he will reign. That is coming very soon. And from what I'm seeing here and from what other verses we're going to look at, that there is an additional urgency 
about this harvest that we're involved in now because of that harvest that's coming soon for the whole earth. Do you see where we're going with this? It's urgency. So right there in Revelation 14, we have another way the imagery of the harvest is used by God. It's not only, like I said, a picture of soul picture of souls coming to Christ, but of that final harvest of judgment. And it's depicted as a grain harvest here. And if you keep reading that passage, it's also a grape harvest. Here's my point. Since the final harvest is so near, we need to be focused more on the harvest that's going on now of souls for the kingdom of God. And because we realize it's more urgent than what we had even previously thought. All right? It always has been, actually. But we're getting close to the end now. People only have the space of one lifetime to receive that gift of salvation. Nobody knows how much time they have left. Yet, we see that time's running out. I mean, I look at history and I see what's happening in the last hundred years, what's happened in the last 10 years, and the way things are moving so fast, that tells you something, right? Besides the fact we've got so much fulfilled prophecy that you can point to in scripture. So you've got scripture and you've got the witness of just what's happening uh, in, in time right now. So this is what this passage is telling us. Are you still with me? Okay. You know, the quicker you listen, the quicker I'll get done with this, right? Okay. So um, here's what he's telling us. First of all, uh, we need to remember this morning, the harvest is soon. That harvest is soon. This event has been taught for a long time. You say, wait a minute. People have been talking thousands of years about this. Uh, well, you know, with God... Uh, you know, it tells us that one day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. So sometimes the way we look at time isn't the way God looks at it. But you even go back into the Old Testament uh, and just let me just throw a few instances up there. So you might want to make note of these verses. Here they come. Way back in Joel, Joel, the prophet Joel, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years back before Christ even came physically on the earth. He says this. Listen, does this not sound similar? Does this not sound similar? Because the Holy Spirit is the author of the Word of God, right? But he says, Here's what he says. Put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down for the wine press is full. The vats overflow for their witnesses, for their wickedness is great. Now, if you read that whole passage, uh, you see that also used the grape harvest is also part of the imagery in Revelation 14. It's talking about the same event here. Talking about the same thing here. And then Daniel, still going back hundreds of years before Jesus actually physically came on the earth. In Daniel 7, 13, he says, I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like, here we go again, the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Do you see similar imagery there? He came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. Verse 14, it says, then to him, that's that one, to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. Are you following this? That all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. So this has been prophesied way back even in the Old Testament. And so it's not that God's getting tired of all the sin in the world and he finally decides that's just, that's it. I've Kind of like my mom used to do, you know, how that would happen. Like you kind of things roll on and you kind of get a few warnings, a few warnings, you get the looks and all that. And then finally the announcement is made, that's it, I've had enough. It sounds like some of y'all's mama said that too. 
I've had enough, you know. And then, you know, sometimes they'll make the announcement that you just got on my last nerve, right? And I always wondered why it was, wait, she waited till the last nerve. Why didn't she say, you know what, I've got about three nerves left, right? And give us like a heads up on that. And I never knew till I was on the last one. And then that was that I have had enough. And when mama had had enough, that's when judgment began, right? Okay. Uh, it's, it's not like God's just going to say, that's it. You guys have gone too far. I've had enough. That's not the plan. That's not it at all. It's that God has a very detailed, exact plan that is being fulfilled day by day. We see it unfolding as it progressively through scriptures. Some of the elements of how he wraps it up are clear. And some of them are mysterious and he intends for them to be. Or veiled as we might say. Uh, but as I said, we can look in history, we can look in scriptures, we can see and we can know this. We're closer than we've ever been. Time is running out. Um, and we can look at the prophecies in scripture and though they're kind of mysterious, we can know that this harvest is soon. It is soon. So if you're a child of God and if you're walking in the light and you're walking in his word, this means that you should see this. You should. You should have a burden for this. Instead of just clucking your tongue at our culture that's gone crazy, you should have compassion. And we should have a desire to try to uh, live the truth, but also share the truth and, and hopefully be used by God to draw people to himself. Not to us, but to him, right? Um, you see what, and you should see what others can't see. Why can't they see? Well, here's one reason. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.1. Now, watch this, because we're going to do a lot of verses concerning this. I know it's a lot. I don't like to like, use so many, because this is like more of a Bible study. But, but make a note so you can study, follow up later. First, First Thessalonians 5, 1 Thessalonians 5.1, he says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Do you hear that? Concerning the times and the seasons. You really don't need me to write to you, and he does, but he says, you really should be paying attention. You really should be seeing this. Okay, two words there, and in the original Greek of the New Testament, two different words, times and seasons, okay? Times and seasons. So this is part of the harvest being soon because there's two different issues of time here. Um, the first one is chronos, which means a quantity of time, the time, the, the clock ticking, right? And then karios, which is translated seasons, and it's more like quality of time. Like what time is it? It's almost summertime. Right? And you can, so with the, with the seasons, you can see, you may, you may not, you can see the clock is ticking and you know we're getting close, but, but you at least need to see the season is changing. Can you tell us some weird stuff happened in our world in the last, oh, let's say a couple years? Has there been a lot of things? Like whenever we, all of a sudden, finally, all this spring has been kind of slow, getting over with. And even though technically on the calendar we're still in, we're almost to summer. Are we beginning to see signs of summer out there with the humidity and all the temperature? So we know summer is here because the season, there's signs, there's things happening. So we know a changing of the season is here. That's the kind of thing he's saying. If you're following him and walking in his truth, you're going to have this. You're going to see that. So likewise, the signs of the time tell us this. The end is near. Paul describes it in this passage. Can I go on in 1 Thessalonians 5 a little bit? Will you let me do that? 
I know you're not going to stop me. I don't know why I'm saying that. But anyway, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, next verse. He says, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord. So just so you realize, we're all talking about the same thing here. We're still talking about that final harvest, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Thief in the night doesn't announce himself, here I come, you know. He doesn't get on Facebook. He doesn't start tweeting like, you know, hey, I'm going to go down this street. No, it's, it's very surprising. So what is this saying? You don't have any need that I should write to you. In other words, you should see it. But this is talking about to the rest of the world, those who are living in darkness spiritually. They're going to be surprised. They're not going to see it coming. All right? They're going to be surprised. They, they've been brainwashed by a, peace, by a false hope, a false peace, a false security. And then suddenly it will come. This is what the Bible says. I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm just going to give you scripture. And you believe it or not, all right? Some things are true whether you believe it or not. Oh, eh, you just need to know that. All right, 1 Thessalonians 5, 3. Next verse, he says, For when they say, that's the people who are living in darkness, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. In other words, it's like, whoo! I, I, this, is, this is kind of bad. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I certainly do not know what this would ever feel like. And thank God. But anyway, uh, but I can imagine. I've, you know, with uh, as many kids as we have and now grandkids and then, you know, being around so many people that sometimes it's very suddenly it's like, whoo, wow. And I think, I think, you know, you may say, I think I'm in labor. And, but here's the point he's saying, like, all of a sudden the labor pains start. You know, sometimes like, hey, anything happening? Nothing yet, nothing yet. Well, it's got to happen sometime, you know that. All of a sudden it's like, oh my goodness, could it be? Paul's point is once the labor pains start, they don't just go away for good. It's leading to something. Got it? The labor pains are an indication that the birthing process has begun and it is going to progress. That's what he's saying. Just like that. Just like that. There's, there's no backing out. It's happening. It's happening. Okay. Are we still going? Uh, because then he says in verse 4 this. He says, but you. And when he says brethren, he's talking just in their culture. He's talking to brothers and sisters. He's talking to everybody. All right. All those in that church. All those who are believers. All those who are following Christ. He says, but you. You're not in darkness. You, you should not be. If you've come to the light. If you've come to Christ. You're not in darkness. So that this day should overtake you as a thief. You understand? To those in darkness, it'll be like a surprise, a thief. But it shouldn't be that way for you. It shouldn't be that way. And he tells us, here's what we should do. I'm going to skip down to verse 8 where he says, so here's, here's our reaction. Let us who are of the day, that is, we're walking in the light. Let us be sober, clear-headed, putting on the breastplate of faith. We're living by faith. Talk about walking by faith. Diane was telling me, you cycle by faith. You pedal by faith, don't you? And just trust in the Lord, uh, trusting in him. See, that's what it means. It means more than just have a positive attitude. It means more than just believing real hard. It means that we surrender. It means that we trust completely and rely upon him. The breastplate of faith is like our armor and love. And as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So, so basically... You're outfitted. You're going to go through some stuff. It's going to be some tough times, but we're protected. Our vitals protected by faith and love and, and our head by, by the hope of salvation. You see? Protect our heart, protect our minds, all of that. And here's what we're to do. 
with each other. In verse 11, he says, therefore, comfort each other and edify. That word means to build up one another, just as you're, you're doing. Keep doing it. Keep doing what you're doing. Listen, there's some stuff coming down the pike that can get us distracted from sharing the truth and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and from comforting and building one another up. You see, here's the problem. I feel like we're not comforting and building each other up, each other among us like we should, so we're sure not being a witness to the lost in darkness like we should. We're to love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. We're not even loving each other like we should. It takes supernatural help, though, doesn't it? You know, there are some people, only God could love them. And he does. And so there's times we just have to say, Lord, I know you love them. I'm having a tough time down here. Can you give me some of that? Can you give me some of your love and let it flow through me? That's what it's about. He's loving you with his own love flowing through you. It's not me, it's him living in me, living through me. So even though we can be alert to the time and the season... We don't know the hour. We don't know the moment. And all these people that are trying to tell you that they do, don't buy their stuff. Don't send them money. Don't fall for that. Because here's what Jesus said. He said in Matthew 24, 42, Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour. What hour. You don't know the tick of the clock. You can know the season. You can know the, the, the times in the season. But you don't know the hour when he's coming. And so, um, you know what? That means you need to be ready. You need to be serious about this. Uh, it shouldn't come on you as a surprise. So it's soon, soon. I got to move on. I got to go quicker. The harvest is not only soon, but it's also sudden. It's sudden. You get that? Now in Luke chapter 21, Jesus is talking about this. And let me put that verse up there. In Luke 21, 34, he says this. He says, take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing. It's an old word. I think that's the new King James I'm using there. Uh, drunkenness. And the cares of this life. All I want to do is party and have a good time. Well, there's nothing wrong with having a good time. But you need to keep your, you don't let your heart be weighed down. Don't be distracted by all this, by drunkenness. You know, you don't know what's going on. Cares of this life. All worried about stuff here and now. You're not thinking about anything more than you and what you got going on for yourself right here, right now. He says, and that that day come on you unexpectedly. Remember, Paul tells us later, it shouldn't. But see, you could get distracted, Right? By sin, by the world, by different things, you could get distracted. It could come on you. You, you, need to, you should be ready. It shouldn't come on you unexpectedly, but for the whole world, it's like this. It will come on. It'll be like a trap that is, and he uses imagery there, like a trap or a snare springing on an, on an animal, coming unexpectedly, like a trap. Boom, there it is, like that thief in the night. In Revelation 22, Jesus says, I come quickly, right? So that means suddenly. It can mean soon, but it can also mean suddenly. Uh, and when it happens, it's going to happen fast. Okay? That these things will happen quickly. Listen to what Paul says. I'm going to give another verse. 1 Corinthians 15. Where Paul said, oh, wait a minute. There's the other verse I forgot to put up there. It will come as a snare on the face of those who dwell on the face of the earth. Like a trap. I already explained that. All right. Then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, in verse 51, I tell you a mystery. Yeah. This is a mystery, something that's been covered up, but I'm going to, you know, there's still a mysterious aspect, but I, I can't explain how it's going to happen, but I can tell you what the mystery is. Here it is. We shall not all sleep. Now, sleep's referring to our bodies, physical death. Physical death. We're not all going to die physically. But he says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, 
at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we, if you're still alive at that time, will be changed. That is, this mortal body will put on immortality. Uh, he says in this passage, flesh and blood can inherit the kingdom of heaven, but we're going to be changed. We're going to have that resurrection body. This is powerful. So, but you notice he says it's going to happen in a moment when this happens. So I think there's a lot of people say, when I see this happen, man, I'm going to give my heart to the Lord. No, you won't because you have waited too long because he says it twinkling up faster than you can bat your eye. It'll be done. When it happens, it happens suddenly. It happens quickly, faster than you can bat your eye. So... There won't be time then. So we need to be ready now. So not only is it soon, not only is it sudden, but it also indicates separation. The harvest is separation. Because this is what happens. Jesus told another story about a harvest before he went to the cross. Do you remember it? Well, yeah, he told a lot of them. Uh, But he told one using harvest imagery uh, and in a very personal way. And uh, he used it there in Matthew 13. So I told you about that. And, and you think, boy, is he ever going to get to that passage? And we're always, I hope this isn't halfway point, right? But let's, let's look at it. You still with me? Okay. Jesus told another story about it. And this involves two sowers. It's a little different. Uh, it's not long after he gave the parable about sowing and the, the sowing the gospel and the different soil types. He says in verse 24, look at it with me. So get the, um, Get your scripture out there and follow along. He says, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds. Now, if you're reading in an old translation, it has the word tares there. That's probably referring to something we'll look at in just a moment, a a, a weed uh, that was actually maybe Darnell wheat or what they would call that, but it looked a lot the same. You couldn't distinguish it from regular wheat until it began to produce the head till harvest time. And the grain of it could be toxic if you had very much of it. So this is a very dangerous weed. So um, uh, it says that he sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Verse 26. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then it was exposed. Whoa, we got a problem. The weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No. Lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest, at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So this is the story, as we used to call it, the wheat and the tares, okay, or the weeds. So we see here that, the once again, the field is the world. And he explains this down here in verses 36 uh, through like 43. So if you kind of look at that, the one who sows the good seed is Jesus, the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are, are, are those are the, who are the sons and daughters of the kingdom. Those who come to Christ. Those who follow him. And then it says the evil one is also sowing seeds. And, uh, and the, the weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy sows them in that field, which is the world. And the harvest is what? Do you see that? The end of the age. This thing we're talking about, the final harvest, all right? And so this analogy is very interesting because the people of that day would have really understood it well. 
uh, because this is something they depended on, the wheat and the barley that was grown. And um, there's always been ways to play pranks and to, to, to be mean and do stuff like that. But one thing that sometimes maybe someone would do if they were an enemy, that once you planted and sowed your wheat, that they would come along with this, which was probably what's called Darnell wheat. And I've got a picture of it, and it looks very similar. So when it's growing, it's almost impossible, especially in their day, to distinguish it. So they would not have known until it came mature and it began to ripen or head out, right, as we say around here, as it would come to a head, okay, as the grain was produced on, on the stalk. And so um, here's a picture. Uh, on, the, on the left is the bearded Darnell, which is probably what he's referring to here. And then on the right is wheat. Now you can see when the head, when the grain is produced, there's a difference in the way it looks and the way that the whole head is shaped. And they would, it wouldn't be until then that they would be like, oh, no, we got a problem. And mixed all in the wheat is this, and it is toxic to cattle, to people. You, you really don't want to eat very much of that. So this is a problem, right? So this is what something that they would have understood. It's an imitation and it's, and it's deceptive and it's dangerous. So the wheat and the tares or this Darnell would, would grow up together and the farmer think, man, what a nice crop I got. And then right at the end, he would be shocked and find out this. So this is what the story Jesus is telling, like this has happened. Then he says, um, so there are two plans that come out of this story Jesus tells, this parable about how to deal with it. The servants say, I know what we should do. You know, send us out there. Man, we, now that it's headed out, we can tell. And we're just going to start trying. And we don't know what to do. We're just going to have to go out there and get rid of it. We're just going to have to go out there and pull it up. Well, now the master says, no, no, no. That's not a good plan. And this is the owner of the land and the crop. He says, no, this is not a good plan. Because in doing that, you're going you're to disturb the good, the good wheat. You're going to uproot some of it. If we do that, it would be very disturbing. It would damage. It would be damaging even to the wheat. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to let them both stay there and grow out and finish ripening up. And when we harvest it, I'm going to tell the reapers, at that point, I want you to gather the wheat into my barn. But the weeds, you're going to gather and bundle up, and they're going to be burned. Now, that's a picture that Jesus gave. That's not my picture. And so when the harvest comes, it's going to be evident. The reapers will separate it out. So he tells us the interpretation uh, that this means. Listen to me. We're coming to a point here, coming to a close. This means, folks, we're going to have to learn. If you're a true child of the kingdom, if you put your faith in Christ and you're following him, okay? We're, listen, we're going to have to learn to live in a world that is oversown with evil. That's the way it is. We're going to have to learn to operate, even in the family of God, in the local church, with those who masquerade as real, but are not. We can't tell. God knows, and it will be evident someday among us. We've seen that already. Did you notice that the enemy, which represents Satan, he didn't throw briars in there, or as we say, brars. Brars. It's another one of our southern things, brars. It's worse in Arkansas where I grew up probably than here, but you say it too, I've heard you. Or thorns. But he sowed tares, or darnell. And you can Google this if you want. <laughs> you can Google it. Check me out on it. It's important. Virtually impossible to distinguish from the genuine until harvest. So what he sowed was an imitation. Yeah, there are thorns and there are briars out there. 
but there's a lot of this that looks like the real thing. Only, pardon me, but it ain't. Okay? Don't forget that the field is the world, not the church. That's what he said. The field is what? The world. Now, some of these find their way into the church. He's not, but he's describing the condition of the world, not the church. So here's what God wants us to do. Are you ready? Here's what God wants us to do. He wants us to focus on being wheat. Our focus is on being wheat and calling others into the kingdom, not on uprooting tares. That's his job. You know, we get the idea that what we need to do is we need to go out there and we need to root out all that evil influence in the world. And sometimes we're very passionate about doing that. And there are whole movements to this effect. And we need to speak the truth. But let me tell you, if we're not careful, we spend more time focusing on getting rid of the evil around us than we do focusing on being like Jesus ourselves. Did you hear that? We're more passionate and more focused on getting rid of the evil around us than we are about being like Jesus ourselves. He said, leave it alone. There will be a harvest day. But don't forget that day will be a day of separation. And, and, and understand what Jesus is saying here. It means that they, they've made their choice. He's just honoring their choice for eternity. They will be separated from him. They'll be separated from us. And it says forever. Now, Darnell wheat can never become real wheat, but this is where the parable breaks down because here's what we do know. A tear can become good wheat by the miracle working grace of God. There's many of us has been like that. Been weeds. We were pretending to be, but we really weren't. But you can get it right. And we know that from the rest of scripture. But I also want you to realize the importance of the place that you occupy in this field of the world because this is where we are, folks. We're in the world, and we're to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. Salt has a preserving effect. So by our standing and living according to God's truth, it does have a redemptive, a redemptive preserving effect even to the world around us who is in darkness and, and, and light to a dark world. Uh, and, and, and it's a preserving effect in a decaying world. But the importance of the place where you are, because if this is true, God is the one who sowed his children in the field, according to this analogy, this parable. He sowed them. Where are you? I hear it all the time. Man, if we weren't stuck in this little dying town. Wait a minute. I think I'm the one that said that. No, I may have a time or two. Or if this or if that. You are right where God means for you to be. Remember when we went through again recently the Red Sea Rules about Rob Morgan's Bible, Bible study? And... Uh, uh, we're looking forward to doing a new one, Jordan River Rules, that he just came out. I just got my copy. But anyway, good Bible study. Remember the first thing was Red Sea Rules, God means for you to be where you are. He, knew, he led the children of Israel into what looked like a trap. But when God, our God is a God who can make a way out when there seems to be no way. He means for you to be where you are. So he wants you to sow. He wants you to work. He wants you to serve him right where you are. It's got to start right here where I am in this messed up, cruddy situation that I'm stuck in. It could be in this messed up marriage that I'm still stuck in. It could be in this messed up job that I'm stuck in. It could be whatever it is, but that's where he sowed you. So quit looking at it that way and look at it. This is where God wants. I'm here. It's no surprise to him. 
You might say, well, I made mistakes. I should have been somewhere else. I should have gone there to college, or I should have taken that job, or I should have married that other person. God already knew that you was going to do what you was going to do. Therefore, he could figure it into his plan. He even takes our mistakes and even takes our failures, and because he's sovereign, he can weave it into the fabric of his mighty plan. I believe that. You need to understand that. J. Vernon McGee used to say, God didn't call me to clean up the pond. He called me to fish out of it. I like that. You can't find in the Bible where God's called us just to be moral change agents uh, and, and to change the world with moral reforms. What you do find is God's called us to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature in the world and call them out of the world into the church, which is the ecclesia, the called out of God. Because the world needs to be more than reformed. It needs to be reborn. Because you can reform stuff on the outside, but you haven't reformed the hearts. This is what we need. People need Christ. They need the change that only God can give. They need the gift that only salvation brings. It's not just straighten up and don't do this and do that. It's they need Christ. They need divine light in their lives. And that's what the harvest we're in now is all about. And in the midst of this, we're to be this influence for Christ. And, and when you know what is at stake and you know that the final harvest is soon coming and then how sudden it'll happen. And when it does it, there'll be no time. Folks, we need to be praying. We need to be working in the harvest for souls and to be light and to be salt like never before. Time's running out. And there's going to be a final harvest. And if I love people, how can I not share Christ with them? If I'm going to share Christ with them, I need to be more like Christ in my own life. Let's pray. Father, help us.